Hello and happy Tuesday. Tis the season for holiday parties. Last week, we invited premium members to toast cups up to the holidays at a gathering on Hilton Head. So we hope to see y'all there. For those who aren't yet members of our premium platform, you can join at lunashark.supercast.com. While we're on the topic of get-togethers, in the new year, we will be bringing some of the Lunashark fun closer to you. We are now taking suggestions from listeners on where you would like us to go in 2024. To submit a suggestion for our 2024 event schedule, go to lunasharkmedia.com slash new events. That is lunasharkmedia.com slash new events. This week, Eric Bland and his law partner, Ronnie Richter, will be hosting our next happy hour at 7 p.m. December 21st. Soak Up the Sun Premium members, check your email and your feed for the links to that. It'll be a lot of fun. Lastly, our annual membership drive starts in January, so stay tuned for more live hearings, live events, and more. Now, as for today's episode, I feel like I need to warn you that we are getting a little spicy. Spicier than usual, that is. We recorded our conversation first thing in the morning, so we were ready to roll. We started off our discussion by quickly discussing the behind-the-scenes drama that's been going on between a TikToker and Becky Hill. Ordinarily, we wouldn't spend any time acknowledging this type of silliness, at least not to this extent. But the accusation that this TikToker continues to lob at Becky and at us are dangerous and frankly fit very nicely into Dick and Jim's plan to get Alec a new trial. So we feel like we have to at least correct the record on some things. More importantly though, on this episode we talk about the latest in Becky's case, the apparent break in getting answers to the question of where did Alec hide his money, and depositions, why we love them as journalists and how we get our hands on them. So let's get into it. Cups up, guys. Good morning. Cups up, my friends. I got my factor. Oh, my God. So Love it. <laughs> Juicing. Good morning, juice. Yeah, this scotch is almost done. These are really good. They really are. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not saying that because they sponsor this podcast, but <laughs> they are fantastic. Oh, my God. Eric, they're so good, and they saved they're my so good. butt this week because I'm not in a cooking mood, and I needed that. So... It's been a crazy week, huh? It's just like it has. This is all I've been like eating because I've been so stressed and busy mm -hmm. and crazy. Yeah, and it was one of those yeah surreal like busy on what? Busy on what, Mandy? You're just a one trick pony. All you all you have is Myrtle, and your whole career's over with when Myrtle's done. I, mean I know, and I'm just clinging to relevancy. <laughs> and clinging to Murdoch. Is that what What's-Her-Face said? Yeah, I just uh, listened to it. I, what is with I just listened to it, uh, and yeah. it was for an hour, and I, you know, I, I gave her the courtesy of listening to it because somebody sent it to me. Neil sent, Neil sent it to me, and uh, I'm not going to dissect it, but it's a wow, uh, major wow that somebody would go for an hour. It tells me that she has some concerns about what she has said and the grievance that was filed by Neil. I mean, she, she only mentioned your name once, Liz, but she took off on Mandy and me as much as she could. You know, we're biased and we don't have any empathy and she has empathy. You know, we've been biased on Alex from day one and we've admitted that. But two... Gladly, proudly. <laughs> she, we don't have empathy for Alex? Who has empathy for Alex? Psychopaths do. She said that but our listeners, you know, are the same way that we are. So they can't see there's two sides of a coin and we only see one side of it. And then the other thing is, you know, she belittled me saying I only had one murder case and it was PCR'd uh, or one criminal case. I've actually had about 15. And, and everybody who tries a murder case knows if you lose a murder case. And I actually tried it with Greg Harris, a former prosecutor. If you lose it, they PCR you all the time and you want you want your client to PCR you to get an opportunity. But she also said that I don't know what full contact means that I defamed her, that when I said it was a full contact argument between her and Neil, I think everybody understands when you use the word full contact argument, it just means a robust argument. She insinuated, or she said that I insinuated that they got in a fist fight. So that was a little- <laughs> <laughs> You've been that using that term for a really long time. Does anybody not know what I mean when I say it's a full contact argument or a full contact discussion. 
Does, do, no, do, do. you've been saying that. And you said there was a really funny quote in like the early days of MMP when you said this is going to be a full contact litigation and everybody's got to wear pants <laughs> or something yeah, like that. Yeah, big boys wear pants. It's, it's you got to wear big, your big you know, boy pants or whatever. You, it was can't, really funny. you can't wear shorts. You can't wear shorts. That was it. But, you know, we are not hypocritical. She said that, you know, here we are making money on our podcast and we lambast her because you called, we called her TikTok Lori, but she had a four page list of grievances and it's just an hour of my life I won't get back. But that's all I want to say about it. I gave her the courtesy. I can't believe you watched it, Eric. I, I like. Yeah, I couldn't do that. We need to make money because journalism costs money. And I, I don't know, like, I'm not going to apologize for that in any way, shape or form. That's no, it's got to be, it's got to be either. funded. Uh, foyers are expensive and time is expensive. Uh, you're going to tell me that she's going to lawyer for free. I mean, she probably takes some pro bono clients, but does, does she do her main profession for free? This is our main profession. This is what we do for a living. So get Real. She complimented you on your work at Fitz News, that you broke a lot of stories, Mandy, but then you gave up being a journalist and became just a, a podcaster. And now you're just an unempathetic, mean woman oh, who, who uses gro gross, gross terms and evil terms. Oh, well, something... <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> this is so stupid. <laughs> it is so stupid, but I just want to say this one thing and then we're going to move on. I've been thinking about what she said about making money and, you know, that we're just crawling, scraping for relevancy and all these things that are untrue. We do make money. That's a fact. Like Liz said, what we do costs a lot of money and we have really great skills that should be paid for appropriately. And uh, fact checking is one of them. And the reason why we make money on our podcast and sorry, TikTok Lori probably doesn't make a lot of money is because we fact check and we verify things and all and we have actual real reporting that takes time and sponsors will pay for that. What they won't pay for is profanity BS of some woman just saying that Becky Hill is the worst ever. That doesn't help society. And, and then with lots of lies on top of it. But I also want to say this. She should thank us because her relevancy is because of the two years that we did before all. Like we did so much work to get the entire Murdoch story into the limelight in the way that it did. And Liz and I deserve every freaking penny for that. And what bothers me so much is all these people now who are saying that we are just wanting relevancy and we are wanting this Murdoch thing to go on forever. Things that are not true at all, because we know how to get other stories. We know how to do the next Murdoch. We can do that if we just have time. She claims she does. She claims that, you know, only third of her stories are Murdoch. She says she's done Murdoch from day one. So don't think you have ownership of it, Mandy. She's done it from day one. What is day one? Uh, she Day one. Wednesday one, 2021. Yeah. Day one. Day one. Yeah. What's day one? Let's hear that one. If she doesn't have a TikTok before 20, in 2019 or before 2021. Is that day one? Then I do not want to hear anything about day one. The and hard she has work. Tremendous... Hold, on, hold on, Eric. The hard work happened before June 2021. The hard, terrifying, thankless work that Liz and I and Teresa Moss did that was when it was really hard. She popped on TikTok when it was easy and it was popular and everybody was already talking about it because we had done the legwork to put all the strings together to make it interesting. And that's all I want to say about that. And when she says leg, can I just clarify what legwork means here? Like we, th she was doing it at a time when everyone was saying that the Murdochs were bad or that the Murdochs were up to no good or that we were doing it at a time when we were constantly told, leave the Murdochs alone. Yeah, they're this or yeah, they're or that but that's just the way it is so we had to break through and like get to a point with people where they trusted us to be able to tell us the things that they would only tell each other basically so i don't want right. to hear like she comes and now i'm getting mad and good journalism is why people listen to us and eric did you happen to listen to the podcast this week i did we talk, you guys talk about a lot of different things. We don't talk about murder. I'm going to talk about my murder case today. We're going to talk about other things. We're going to talk about, you know, how do you find assets? We're just, our job is to educate people. We have to cater to our audience. You know, our audience 
does want to hear about Myrtle. If I'm going to sit here and talk about basketball, when our audience wants to be educated on Myrtle because it's not over yet, I'm not apologizing for that. We are trying to educate our audience on what they want to hear. And then also, as this show progresses, on all legal issues. And if you follow what people say about our show, what they constantly say is, thank you so much for educating us on the legal system, on what our legal rights are and what we can do, how we can be heard. What should we ask of our lawyers? Most people don't even understand how a trial works. And so they thank us not just for the Murdoch content, but actually educating. And that's what we feel like our role is here, or at least that's what I feel like my role is. Right. And I've said this before, and I'll say it again. I would much rather have a hundred thousand educated listeners who are there for the truth, who are there for the journalism, who are there for the education on the law, who are asking good questions. I would much rather have a, a hundred thousand of those people versus a million people who are just there for mean girl talk and are just there for entertainment and people like there's a lot of, especially early on, I had a lot of people email me, you know, about the typical things, my voice, how I'm awful, blah, blah, blah. And my, my reaction that I didn't say back to them was just like, I don't want you. We're building something here and I want a specific type of listener. I want a listener who's empathetic. I want a listener who does not <laughs> care to message me that my voice sounded terrible that day or does not. She hammered you on your voice again. <laughs> oh. <laughs> she said you, you can't speak, but you've obviously had a voice coach since you started. That's what I'm she said. I'm the one who had a voice coach, first of all. <laughs> Let's, let's get it straight. <laughs> I think you guys speak great. Right, exactly. It's really training. I mean, and even in the last couple months when I've done a lot more interviews and I've talked to a lot more people in person, like I'm catching myself getting better at speaking and I'm catching myself getting less nervous. And it's just the way that it is. You just get used to it. Like Home run on MSNBC on su last Sunday, by the way. Oh, thank I you. I loved watching Thank you. you. And I did talk fast then. And I blame David for the technical difficulties, Andre 3000. Had it was not David's fault. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Skype. It was Skype. We were, I, I didn't even tell you this Liz it was Skype and you know we were like okay I guess we're just gonna wait on the Skype thing and then be live on NBC which is weird and it was fine the feed was fine for an hour I was watching the show for an hour and then right when they said introducing Mandy Matney <laughs> it went completely blank <laughs> Did. It went like, eh. and of course we both. They hit you back after the commercial. Right? We both kind of panicked. And Four minutes and 53 seconds. It was great. Oh, it was so ridiculous though, because it was like everything with the feed was completely fine until the second that they introduced me. And then it just went completely blank. And you did great. So I was a little frazzled and... But yeah, I just need to make myself do that more because it, when you talk, you just get better at it. And when you get used to responding to questions that throw you off, you get better at that. And it's just a way of learning. You covered, and, you covered a lot of territory, Stephen Smith. You said, we are dedicating 2024 to Stephen Smith. We will bring it home. I mean, you hit Myrtle. You hit so many different things, your book. A lot. And that's what you got to learn when you, you know, I've, I've had to improve because you know, you only have about two minutes and you want to get something out and you got to do it in a clippy quick way. And you have to be able to pivot if they want to pivot. And you did a great job. Thank you. Eric, the reason Mandy was asking you if you listened to True Sunlight was because this week we got to break a little news on the podcast, which is always fun. And it's something that was a long time coming for us because almost from the very start, this person's name was being floated to us, you know, sort of peripherally at first. And then more specifically, as time went on, that this could be somebody who holds the keys to where Alec hid his millions of stolen client money. So we were super excited 
excited to be able to do this episode. When we found out that he, his name's Peter J. Strauss, he's a lawyer on Hilton Head. He is known as a sort of a global, um, I guess, expert of sorts in what's called the captive insurance business. And I got a crash course in captive insurance this week from somebody who was really helpful in explaining what it is and what it isn't and how it can be abused and, and all of that. So Eric, do you, do you want to talk about what captive insurance is or do you want, I mean, just to understand that like what this guy was doing for his business and it was very lucrative. He was making a lot of money at it. And, uh, you know, you can, it's, it's a tax shelter that can easily be abused. Right. The people do these over in, in the islands where they form these companies and they become basically their own insurance company. They fund their own. They become self-insured. A lot of professional athletes have tried to do this overseas where they basically insure themselves. I had a case in, involving a bar and the, the bar owner himself had a captive insurance and he was self-insured. And it's a way of putting money overseas so that you avoid United States taxation. You can get money out as a consultant and it's under the captive insurance where you don't pay tax on that money. And the IRS have been looking at this for many, many years. And it's just, it takes somebody who's very sophisticated in understanding how to structure it. And it's very difficult to employ that you don't violate the rules. Right. And so one of the things that I found out was that South Carolina is actually one of the top states in the nation as a very sophisticated insurance industry, but specifically uh, one of the top places for captive insurance policies or companies. And that the IRS has been cracking down, like the way it was originally described to me in 2022 is like, if you took out a policy, if you put a million dollars into a policy that you can cash in on when you stub your toe, it's basically like as frivolous as that. But from what I understand, it's a lot more sophisticated than that. And the IRS is not really allowing individual people, wealthy individuals to do these captive policies in the same way that they were. But what they essentially do is they shelter their money by putting them in. And it makes a lot of sense for big businesses. Walmart does this. Lots of uh, 90% of the Fortune 1000 companies companies, according to Peter Strauss, do it. But you put all this money in this little, you know, it's called a tax shelter and you take out loans because it's basically a tax deferral program. So what you end up doing is you can take out loans against it and it protects your money. It's, it's essentially you're living off the loans off of the, off of your own money. So that's really- The question is when do you repay those loans? Do you ever repay the loans? Ex exactly. The, they never do the other end of the deal. When you borrow the money, you do a promissory note. Who's checking to make sure that it's a repayment. So one of the questions that was asked to me is why, because what we're hearing is like, in the community in Hilton Head is people are surprised it took this long for Peter Strauss to get in trouble with the Office of Disciplinary Counsel just because he's been rumored for years to have been doing or being adjacent to these sort of money grabs, I guess, where, where people are trying to hide their money from the government. So one of the things that why we thought that uh, Peter J. Strauss might be, might hold the keys to where Alec's money is, because I can't imagine a world where Alec is doing things by the book, right? But I also can't imagine a world where he gets ultra, super complicated with this money either but you need discipline yeah right you need discipline yeah it's because it is it's like you have to have if you do it the right way it's you need discipline you need for you need somebody keeping track of it you need forms but but you create a company, right? And then you have 12 different cells under that company, right? And you and 11 of your friends can create these different policies. So it's something that you can go in on with friends or perhaps business associates or what have you. High net worth people. Right. High net worth people. So, but again, Alec is a guy who did not lend his own law firm money each year the way the partners did. Remember when he took Randy's yeah. check, he stole <laughs> Randy's check, which was basically like a return on that loan. He never gave, like we always used to joke. Yeah. He was just like, no. <laughs> yeah. Not me. I can't, I, I can't do it this year. But he, it was always like, we, we joked during the original time of this, like when all this stuff started to come out about Alec, that it, his money flows in one direction. And it's to him. It's not, you don't see it flowing away from him. You see it sort of just living off the grid, disappearing. So. Yeah. And it's, it's funny that you mentioned that because I was thinking about this last night, like in reading this lawsuit, I have to like, I, actually, I want to go back first. So 
The Peter Strauss thing was exciting for Liz and I because it was, again, a very validating step in this extremely long journey that we have had trying to get answers in this entire thing. And Liz, David, and I had a conversation, I don't know, a week ago, and we were honestly trying to think of, like, how do we how do we wrap up Murdoch? <laughs> within the near future how do we put a bow on this and what are the what are the things that we really need answers on besides steven steven is separate but i'm talking about every week talking about dick and jim we are all tired of it and their nonsense and so we we were thinking like oh there's hope on the horizon for a new day and and then like magic this peter strauss thing comes down and this is a name that we have been hearing for years and i'm talking like i would go to the salon and women would pull me to the side and say you need to look into peter strauss if you're looking for alex murdoch's money these lots of people on hilton head have a lot of questions about peter strauss and as liz said this has been like a quiet whisper thing for the past several years and the fact that the ODC is coming down pretty hard on him and Eric, a thing I wanted to ask you, he was suspended for rule 17A. What is rule 17A? I'll have that off the tip of my tongue. I can go get a rule book if you want me to. You know why you don't, Eric? Because you um, are a good person. 17A is that you've been criminally indicted or there's sufficient evidence to show that you may have committed a crime. Here is David with what Rule 17A says. Criminal prosecution or conviction for a serious crime. Without the necessity of commission action, the Supreme Court may place a lawyer on interim suspension upon notice of the filing of an indictment, information, or complaint charging the lawyer with a serious crime and shall immediately place a lawyer on interim suspension on receipt of a certified copy of a judgment of conviction or other competent evidence showing that the lawyer has been convicted of a serious crime. The fact that sentencing may be delayed or an appeal may be taken shall not prevent the Supreme Court from imposing an interim suspension. It basically, it's not simply that you've been charged with misconduct. He has two counts against him, according to his disciplinary counsel order, the order from the Supreme Court, rather. So it's different from Alec and Corey. It's different from the magistrate judge, David Little, who was suspended uh, late last month. He also was suspended on a misconduct charge. That's what stood out from the beginning, because 17A was not the same rule that was cited for basically most most of the other lawyers you see get disciplined. It's always this sort of generalized misconduct, uh, potential misconduct, right? right? So in this case, it was... A violation of the rules. Right, a violation of the rules. This indicates that something criminal uh, was afoot, yeah. Right. It was interesting to us that, like, Alex Murdoch was charged or was uh, suspended a couple days after his whole suicide for hire situation, and he had already admitted that he was on drugs. Anyways, I'm pretty sure a lot of people knew that he had committed a crime or two at that point, and they didn't even suspend him on 17A. They suspended him on 17B, which is just very interesting to me. So it tells me that they have a lot of evidence against Peter for something criminal, which is very serious. Very serious. I, and just I would like to comment. I think there's been a tremendous lack of focus on what has happened to the money in Myrtle. And it's not only on some of the people that talk about Myrtle. Obviously, we have constantly said, where's the money? Where's the money? Show me the money. Show me the money. But I even think the, the law enforcement agencies and the government itself has focused more on Alex's liability what he did wrong, what crimes that he violated to get him punished for that. But there's been a lack of attention on everybody's part, except yours, Mandy and Liz, on where it, where did the money go? And I think that is phase four or the fourth quarter in the Murdoch story. Don't you agree? I think that there's been a lot of where the money is behind the scenes, Eric. Uh, it's been a constant conversation, not just, I feel like, 
yes, they were sled and the FBI were focused on on the liability maybe or the actual criminal acts themselves. But I do know that this has been a long time coming for people. And I say people, I mean lawyers behind the scenes who have been working to find out where his treasure trove of money is. So it's been it's been constant. But I will say not a lot of media has really dug into that angle. And that was something that, you know, this week we were preparing for a Becky Hill episode. We were preparing to, we had a, Liz especially had done a lot of behind the scene reporting and we knew a lot. And again, we're trying to put this bow on (laughs) this thing that just keeps going. And the media just keeps, I mean, every freaking day I get messages from people or tweets from people saying, why don't you guys talk about Becky Hill more? Is this true about Becky Hill? Is that true about Becky Hill because media is so focused on that and the here and now the here and now right the here and now and it's in the weeds man like they're so in the weeds with that with the Becky Hill stuff that they don't even understand that it is mostly about ethics violations that have nothing to do with the trial whatsoever but that's something different beyond that like she's in if what what she might be in trouble for is something that she wasn't even accused of doing so right you know it's it's right it's very complex it's complex it's and it's and the media is just going with what gets leaked to them and sometimes you know what eric sometimes things get leaked to people in journalism and and they hold off on saying anything about it because they first want to make sure that it's authentic and they also want to make sure that you know this is this is not going to mess up any investigations and this isn't going to get a source in trouble and all of that so while media are tripping over their own you know appendages they uh you know we some people maybe us had the same stuff and we're trying to uh verify we're trying to you know find out the significance get get the information ourselves so what can you do you you guys are just podcasters you're not journalists anymore what do you care about that why do you care about standards yeah we're just podcasters we're just tiktokers we've also opted out of the breaking news situation i mean almost destroyed my mental health entirely like i have to i had to rebuild a big part of my life because I was so attached and so obsessed with breaking so much Murdoch news for so long. And same with Liz. That comes out in your book. Yeah. That comes out in your book. You could see it from the pages. Every every day you were in that mindset, I got to break. The, the My bosses want clicks. I got to break. I got to come up with something new every day. Right. That's what your mindset was. Right. And it's exhausting and it takes you to a very dark place. And Liz went there and uh, we don't want to do that anymore. And our expertise is about finding out what matters and finding the context behind all these moves and the strategy. That is what we're good at. And what's happening and predicting what's going to happen next and what does this really mean and uh, instead of just and breaking news can also be very very damaging because it's just immediate reaction and the media just goes to the the next shiny thing and bad people can put out the shiny thing and they just reflect it and put it out there and instead of stopping and thinking about it what am i doing am i using this power that i have because we do have a lot of power in the media to for good or am i using it just to get clicks or am i using it uh, to actually help bad people and i think i i about the Becky Hill situation, I just really think that 90% of the media covering it to the extent that they are and covering every little move would not be doing that whatsoever if Dick hadn't put her on a chopping block and said that she is the reason why Alex is going to get a new trial. And it's just crazy. But I did hear... I did hear at the end of the week, or was Wednesday, that there is allegedly a connection now between her son's problems and Becky's juror problems. Somebody, some news agency reported that. I don't, not saying that's not true. I'm no, not... no, 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 no. That's not what. Okay. That's not what they said. That's not what yeah. they said. No, they didn't. It's getting so confused because that's what a lot of people took it away at. And and honestly, I read it. I read the headline and I panicked. And then I read it. And then I I did. It said linked to her ethics violations not the jury tampering, which is, again, right. and that's why this is all getting so confusing. And I had several people 
say the same thing to me and I was just like, read it again, calm down. Again, we gotta keep jury tampering stuff over here and Becky's ethics and her ethics, her possible ethics commission violations over here. They are not the same thing. And with that, we need to take a break. We'll be right back. As y'all know, we're gearing up for our national tour. All the planes, trains, and automobiles can be stressful. But do you know what's going to keep me comfy and confident along the way? You guessed it, Viore. The Viore Winter Collection is chock full of travel gear for any temperature or adventure. I'm planning to strut down Rodeo Drive in my Elevation Trousers. Sophisticated silhouette, ultimate stretch, superior softness. That is my new travel mantra. Viore is an investment in your happiness. For listeners, they are offering 20% off your first purchase. Get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet at viore.com slash COJ. That's V-U-O-R-I dot com slash COJ. Not only will you receive 20% off your first purchase, but enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75 and free returns. Go to viore.com slash COJ and discover the versatility of Viore clothing. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. So, Eric, what you mentioned earlier was that Becky's ethics violations and her son's wiretapping sort of go hand in hand. And I think that's based on the timeline of when the wiretapping started or the alleged wiretapping, I should say, started. But I think the the clarity there that we gained is that there's this notion that the alleged wiretapping was the result of monitoring some sort of inter-office affair that was going on or allegedly going on in Colleton County. And now, I guess, you know, based on Drew Tripp's report, we, we now know that it is likely going to, you know, not be about that alleged affair. So it's going to instead be about listening in to find to get to get ahead of this ethics complaint. What is so sad about this is just seeing that uh, it's almost like you can, like, I look at this from uh, the perspective of like, if this were 2019, and I found out the Colleton County Clerk of Court had gotten accused of these things in an ethics violation, how would I report it then absent the context of the Murdoch's absent all of that. And I know that I would look at it much differently. I know that I would look at it like, okay, this person has been accused of this, let's find out did she do this stuff, you know, I'd be very leery of believing her side of it or giving her the benefit of the doubt, I would very much be laser focused on what the complaints say and laser focused on what the accusations are and what her side is, etc. But not necessarily understanding it as a political her as political roadkill in, in that that sense. So we can't look at it that way, though, because of how powerful the Murdoch connections are in this and how powerful Dick and Jim are and really what their ultimate goal is. So I think we can't say that enough that like when we're looking at this, we're looking at it not necessarily from the perspective of public corruption. We're looking at it from what just happened now, Eric, with you, like, you know, and Mandy taking that headline to mean, oh, God, you know, now now there's this definitive connection between the thing that, you know, Alec wants it to be and the thing that it actually is. So we just want to like, we're going to constantly make that divide that there are two different columns, there's these are in silos, as far as we're concerned, just because you know, the the investigators are finding, you know, X, Y, or Z, when they look into this does not mean that Alec Murdoch deserves a new trial. And that's, that's essentially what it is. Let me address that because Lori said that we are so vested in Alex's conviction that we're willing to support Becky when the allegations against her are so obvious. All we've ever said is we believe Alex Murdoch is guilty. 
we believe the jury found him guilty with the evidence that was put forth in the trial, not because we have some personal animus against him. Yes, we don't like him because of all the different dastardly things he did, but we watched the trial and we felt it was a fair trial and we felt it was a just verdict. So we are vested in the just verdict. We are vested in Becky Hill because what we know about Becky on the jury tampering issues are they are highly questionable. We have never said on the ethics issues or anything else that we support them. We don't know about them. We, we're going to let them play out. But as far as the jury tampering issues, we are supporting Becky until we see something concrete which shows that Alex did not get a fair trial. So let's be clear. And Mandy is right. We siloed them. The jury tampering issues are on the left. The ethics issues are on the right. Beyond that, we also know how the Murdochs use the legal system. And, and we also know that their power is still very potent in Colleton County. So, And we're seeing literal connections between the complaints that were made against Becky and the family. So, I mean, what, what are we going to ignore that? Right. Get real. And the... With what you said about Murdoch, and it's the timeline that bothers me the most with all of these complaints. It's the the fact that this start this stuff didn't start coming out until the summer, until people knew that she was writing a book, until people knew that she was an easy target. And I keep thinking about this and what's going to happen. And because Team Murdoch's side is that if her reputation is so destroyed and if her credibility is gone, then it will just come down to simply the clerk of court was corrupt, so you need a new trial. But that's not what the law says, correct? Like, no, no. It comes down right. to the jurors. The, ju the jurors still count. My right. clients their their statements and their what they're willing to testify to and the other jurors that counts as well judge newman's observations count as well other bailiffs other court personnel their things count That's as well not standard, it's not no. just a sine qua non that if becky's somehow tainted it's over that's not the case. She's part of a, a batter of a cake mix. She's not the, the most important thing. Yes, she's very important, but there's a lot of other components to it. Now, something that was provocative in a way that made me think, if Becky wrote her book during the trial. No, she did not say that. She did not say that. She did not, she say, did not that. say that. I'm saying if Becky's if Becky wrote the book during the trial, she's doing it on the public dime and time. And she is a public official. She should have been spending her time on the clerk of court stuff and not writing a book. Is that a valid concern? No, she was not writing her book. She did not meet Neil until three weeks after the trial. There you go. She was keeping notes. She had a journal. You don't, you don't, and you don't know when. I mean, even like, was Becky journaling at night before she went to bed? I mean, we don't know. I don't know. And I feel like if somebody's going to know this stuff, it's going to be us. So, but you're right. That would be a good point if it were accurate. But... Again, I think people are mushing all of this together and it might be like there there might be problems with her book. Yes, ethics violation problems, but it has nothing to do with the trial and also we have to we have to go back to Dick and Jim's original complaint and what her motive was in that complaint and that is something TikTok and a lot of talking heads in this are failing to understand and failing to actually think about, stop and think about, but their entire theory is based on Becky having this motive to tamper with the jury to secure a guilty verdict so that she can have a self-published book. And that is insane. It's absurd. And it does not make any sense. Her book would have been better and more interesting if it was a hung jury or if it was a not guilty jury, because everybody would looking would be looking for what was going on the on the inside that like what happened here. The fact that and I say this because Lori and all of these other people keep on debating about when she got the idea to have a book. And the reason why they think that that matters is because of this absurd theory that she was thinking throughout the entire trial of her book and her book only and tampering with the jury and making sure that, oh, he's got to be guilty so I can get my book out by July, which is insane. And so there's just... 
all of this talk about like when did she start thinking about the book and blah 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 it doesn't matter because that is insane and again she there's no evidence of her tampering with the jury so let's just leave it at that and then the other thing that we're seeing is just the power I think that certain people in our state have when they do have an issue with somebody in authority and they can investigate them and they can tear them apart and they can find anything. But there's what frustrates me is meanwhile, there's a circle of people doing a whole lot worse things that just go untouched and nobody cares about them. And the media that is tearing Becky Hill apart, they don't care about people who are actually using their positions to hurt others and to put public safety at risk and bigger things, a lot bigger things that matter versus what Becky is being accused of doing. And that's what bothers me. It's rules for some. And uh, as Liz and I were talking about this week, it seems like in South Carolina, the only time that ethics matters and the only time people get in trouble for ethical violations is when someone in power is able to take advantage of taking that person down. And it's just not right. So that's my spiel. I may be incorrect, but when Dick and Jim and Phil made their speech at the state house, didn't Dick insinuate it wasn't a self-published book? He thought that she got this advance and that, you know, she had a publisher and that she was going to making big money. And then that's when Neil came out and said, oh, by the way, kind of, yeah. we funded this on our own money. We have sold like very few books, you know, because Dick tried to say this was a, you know, kind of Simon and Schuster type of advance. Do, did I remember that correctly? No, it was more that uh, John Monk, the reporter from the state, asked him, like, you know, how can you make this claim? She was looking for this book deal when she doesn't have a book deal. She self-published it. And he, Dick, immediately rejected that as, like, I, I can't explain her failure, you know? Like, it, it doesn't matter. Like, basically, it doesn't matter. It's what she wanted it, that matters, you know? Okay. It, it's something that struck us immediately when we originally read the ethics complaints. Leading up to these ethics complaints, we've had to deal with a lot of people just like what you just said a little while ago. Go that and I, I want to stop talking about her, but the TikToker was saying that we are Team Becky. During the trial, there was it was almost like I think that Mandy and I get like maligned over and over again as mean girls. This is something that has followed us for years now because of the way we work together. We're really not mean. Like we're not. There's not this like exclusionary vibe to us. It's just that we happen to work well together. It's we're, our comfort zone. We're both introverts. It's just where we, we reside naturally, right? So they. Think think that we're these mean girls who, you know, don't want anything to do with anyone else. But really, it was the opposite. It's like we were the ones that were sort of shunned during the trial as being like, we're not we're too good to come to the courtroom. We're not valid people. Not everyone was like that, Eric. Like some of the journalists were very kind as from out of state were very kind to us. But overall, especially the in-state ones, I've just noticed, I remember being in Charleston and going into the hotel lobby and seeing all the reporters after, I think it was like Corey's sentencing, sitting around and talking to each other and like laughing. And I was like, I want to be, like, I want to sit down and talk with you guys too. But I like, you know, it just felt like I'm not part of that. So I just want to say that because that little group of reporters that sort of clicked together were very team Becky, very, I mean, at least outwardly appearing. And from what we found out later, like, it, I mean, these going people to her were, birthday were party. hanging out with her, right? These, these people that are now reporting on her stuff yes. like this. Right. They're hanging out it with It was her. every day in the in the nature center. In the nature center, that's where everybody was congregating. And I remember when you and I walked in to that party that night, you and I walked in, Liz, you were not uncomfortable, but you had not been in that environment. No, I had not been into that environment, of course, when I, yeah, but, but to say this now we get the ethics violations, right? And like, now there's all this speculation from, you know, that comes out about Becky, well, Liz and Mandy are going to be on her phone and Liz and Mandy and Liz and Mandy did this and did that with her. And this is all that we had no relationship with her, none. And, but then we read in the ethics complaints that the freaking people that, that these trolls like gravitate to when they're like, oh, they're the holy grail of Murdoch news here. were the ones that were so close with her that they're having book signings in the courtroom and that they're going on you know she's going on their podcast and and talking right. to them she didn't go on our podcast like we didn't ask Never. her right we didn't ask her to so it's like i it just gets me so irritated in, in general but i just want to point that out because the ethics complaints have reporters names in them including an accusation that the reporters paid for her birthday party we're not we're not mentioned because we right. have nothing to do with any of that so we're it's also just, not it, yeah yeah 
she thanked several reporters in her book. We are not in that. Because, because like, here's the deal. Like, we're both quiet, but we're both very purpose-driven. And when we work, we work. And I... I've always been this way. Like I've all, I've never had problems making friends with coworkers, neither have you, Liz, but we're just not into that like chit chat. It was not a social event for us. It was the most important few weeks of our career. It was, it work. was work. It was it's work. It was very serious work to us. And I didn't want to be in an environment where people were partying and partying with the clerk of court and whatever. I was doing, and we were doing serious source work throughout the entire trial. We had, we were on the phone with sources during and after the trial every single day. And because we were very serious and, you know, excluded ourselves, and it happened like with my book, not a single local reporter has responded to a single email, done anything relatively, they, they all promote Michael DeWitt's book, that's fine. They won't promote mine and that's just the way that it is. You don't need it. Your book is doing its own promotion. I've accepted that, but it's just kind of a, it's like high school again, you know? And then you have to take a step back and be like, I don't really want to be in that club anyways, so. Well, you've been let down. You know, the truth of the matter is, Mandy. But it does hurt. If you read your book, you've been let down by some journalists, okay? they It's a very competitive business that you guys are in. I mean, it's competitive just like lawyering is in any other industry. And people that you got close to and you, you gave them some information and helped them out and educated them, they let you down. So it's okay that you feel this way. Right, and it's normal to put up walls. And again, we were so laser focused during the trial on the trial and it was so big and and I don't think a lot of the journalists there understood how big of a moment and a deal that was for us uh, but circling back like everybody always asks me are you sure he's guilty I, I get that I've been getting that a lot recently and are, is he going to get a new trial we're team not using the system to trick it into giving Alec a new trial that's what the team we're on right team anti-corruption we're not going to go down the rabbit hole that everybody wants to go down right now that Becky ruined the trial we're not gonna do that until there's proof that she wrecked the trial, because that's all we're concerned about. Look, if Becky stole money or Becky did something inappropriate or whatever, the ethics commission's gonna deal with her. Most likely she's not gonna be clerk of court going forward. That's that. Let the system work and the system will work. But we wanna know, and we want that answer. Did she wreck the trial? It's that simple. And we'll be right back. Okay. One of the accusations in the complaint about Becky, it has to do with her misappropriating money, but it was far before the trial, correct, Liz? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So the accusations were in 2021. Uh, they, they stem from 2021. Which is extremely suspicious because if you were in her office and if you knew that the biggest event ever was coming to Colleton County. And if you had any suspicions about the clerk of court being corrupt, shouldn't you have said that before the trial? Yeah, you should have. It was your, in fact, it was that person's responsibility to have said something if she, if she thought that money was being taken or yeah. For sure. But she waited until July 2023 when helped certain individuals such as Dick and Jim. So, right. you know. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And I, I just don't want to live in a world with a justice system that a man can be found guilty based off of serious and solid evidence and based off a lot of great work from a lot of great people. And that somehow gets turned into one woman involved in the trial had her reputation destroyed. Therefore, that man who was found guilty by a fair trial gets a new trial. That's an insane thing. And that is where our justice system would go completely off the rails. And again, guess who are the only people like Alec Murdoch with a lot of privilege, a lot of money and a lot of power are able to do what Dick and Jim are doing right now, which is leaking stuff to the media and destroying this one person. And if we want a fair justice system, that ain't it. That ain't it. Mm -hmm. Let's move on to 
because we got a question that I think is an interesting one. And it goes back to what we were talking about before with the Peter Strauss case. One of the things, a couple of things we, we were sitting on, we had a transcript from a hearing that, that happened in the federal court in which Peter Strauss pled the fifth dozens and dozens of times, which the transcript actually was given to us anonymously. And the second thing was as part of his divorce filings, there's depositions included in there. And we know from these Murdoch cases that, you know, sort of how these depositions have helped, especially online sleuths, I guess, when they're going through like what happened in the boat crash case and what have you. I mean, there's a lot of information that's contained in these depositions. And I remember, Eric, I said to you, what would happen if I showed up at one of your depositions? I believe it was the Russell Lafitte deposition, because technically speaking, it's a court proceeding, correct? You have a, you're sworn in, open it's open to the, to public. the public, right? But I think it was you, it might have been another lawyer who was like, don't, please don't do that. <laughs> don't, don't show up at this deposition. Well, what's going to happen is they'll call a judge. Right. They'll call a judge and they'll say that, you know, you can sequester, you, but you have to do that before the deposition to say sequester people out of the deposition. You know, parties have a right to attend. So if I'm a party in a case, I have a right to attend every deposition. You can't exclude me out. But you can make a motion to say, well, we don't want this person to come in because if they listen to that person's testimony, it'll color their testimony. And it's usually if depositions are back to back. So if you're at one o'clock and Mandy's at two o'clock, Mandy wants to sit in on your deposition because she's going to be deposed and she wants to hear the questions. If somebody doesn't make a motion to sequester, Mandy technically has a right to sit in on your deposition. But as a member of the media, that was the question. I, I believe I was sent, a, it was, I think it was a statute or it was a rule of proceeding or or something that sort of I thought, you know, could be interpreted to allow members of the public or the media to attend a deposition. And you're saying that you'd have to call a judge and that would have to be tested. The judge would have to basically decide. No, the other party would would call a judge and test that. I would say Liz has a right to be here. This is a public proceeding. All these depositions are going to be used in lieu of somebody testifying in court. Sometimes you get somebody in a deposition, they don't become a witness at trial and you use their deposition in court. The other parties going to object and say, I'm going to call a judge. You know, I don't want the media here. And who knows what a judge would do. And it, depositions for Mandy and me in particular, journalists all over, are some of the best reading that you could ever hope for in your job because- Chad, Chad Westendorf. Chad Westendorf, I forgot about. Maybe that was the one I was going to show up for. I don't remember. But yeah, there's, I mean, we get excited when we get a, especially a full deposition sent to us. In the boat crash case, and I think maybe Dick and Jim have done this too. Maybe, I don't know. I don't remember. But so lawyers will include in their filing sometimes pieces of depositions, but not the full deposition itself. And that's sort of a courtesy, right? Like you guys- could file the whole deposition if you want to, but you're supposed to limit it when possible, right, to the matter at hand. Yeah, because, well, the rule says you file the whole deposition, but no judge wants a 300-page deposition. If the summary judgment is on a statute of limitations issue, you provide him with that testimony that deals with statute of limitations. He doesn't care about the guy's college background or where he went to high school or his job history. However, lawyers are a little deceptive sometimes that they'll file only a part of the discussion about the statute of limitations, which benefits them. And then there's actually more pages in the back of the transcript that deal with it, that put it in context, that explain it a little bit more. And so the adversary then puts the other contrary pages in or the ones that should have been for the, there's a rule called completeness. And the judge will look at the first party and say, well, why did you only include those two pages when he said this at the back of the transcript, which put everything in context? So you really do have to watch lawyers when they cite only portions of depositions, and you have to watch lawyers when they only cite a portion of a case. It happens all the time that they'll pick out this language of a judicial opinion. And then you'll see the other side say, but he didn't give you the rest of the sentence or the rest of the paragraph. And that's the duty of candor to a court because a judge has to be given the entirety, the, the full facts and not be misled. And lawyers have a tendency to do it with deposition citing and also with case citings. So that's like something that a lawyer legislator could probably get away with, right? It's just putting in part of it and not getting in trouble by yes. the judge because the judge is too scared to say something or hesitant to say something. Right. And then as far as a deposition being something that could be FOIA'd, these are very expensive 
things for lawyers, right? I mean, how much does a deposition typically cost? If I'm going to take somebody's deposition and I'm the originator, meaning I noticed it, I have to pay the original fee. If a five-hour deposition, it would, the transcript will probably cost me about 2000 Now, if it's a party and or a very important witness, I also video it too. I have a videographer there, which costs another $1,500. So you can end up spending $4,000 for just one person's deposition. It's extremely expensive. Not saying the court reporters aren't worth it. I'm not saying that. It's just an extremely costly endeavor. And then there's an expedited fee, right, for the tr the transcript. Yeah. Then you pay double. Do you guys sort of play chicken with each other to see who's going to pay the expedited fee so that you can, all can get it? Or is yeah, there... Yeah. And the other thing that's not <laughs> fair, and I don't do this, but some lawyers do, is I'll originate it and then the other party wants a copy. They don't pay the court reporter for it. They'll get the lawyer on the other side to give them a copy and then they'll split the cost. And that's not fair to the court reporter. I don't do that. I don't ever cut out the court reporter. Well, that's nice. Because she makes it both on the originator and then anybody who wants a copy. Right. And these can be rather expensive. So going back to the FOIA question, is that something that the public can FOIA from the reporter and pay for it, obviously? No. It, and why is that? It's not a... Uh, because it's a private proceeding. Yes, it's true that they're in a public forum, a court, but unless it's a government that's a party, you, you can't FOIA a transcript unless the government's part of the party. If it's the state of South Carolina or, a, you know, an administrative agency such as DSS or DHEC or something like that, but two private parties, you can't FOIA a transcript. Yeah, it's amazing in journalism how much lawsuits really help us understand deeper aspects of a story and like circling like the boat crash lawsuit is a perfect example we were able to find out so much more had there not been a lawsuit in that crash i wouldn't have followed the story for two years because there there wouldn't i mean i would have investigated behind the scenes and everything but there wouldn't be concrete things to cite and to keep the story alive so lawsuits are so important for not only getting facts out but they're an important tool for journalists to use and we we saw that again uh in the peter strauss case and trying to find out how his business works well he has an ex-wife who's trying to get his assets so there are a lot, a lot of filings in that case about what she has accused his company of doing and how his company worked and how his the shell companies or whatever, offshore trust and things like that. I learned a whole lot, but it, it's really amazing how we can lawyers that want to help and want to do good have helped me so much in the last few years being like, I have a deposition. You can read this. And then you'll get a lot more information on what you're trying to figure out. Yeah, I love a good deposition. I honestly would read that above any piece of fiction uh, sometimes because... I'm not sure I agree with there's that. Some, there, look, uh -uh. man, we found out. And I, yeah, you guys look for the juicy details. You like the I love juicy. the juicy. I love drama. They're and then very informative. Yeah, I love drama. And then also... They're informative. Well, yeah, they have lots of information. But beyond that, they can result in criminal charges or at least a criminal investigation like it did with the boat crash. That's how the obstruction of justice accusations started coming because of things things that law enforcement were saying in the deposition. So I uh, will always have a soft spot. The, my only criticism, if I were to give it any notes, is that it's not foyable because, God, that would be so much fun if we could just FOIA away for depositions all day long. So message to lawyers, share, share, share with media when you can. Yeah. Can I take a moment for personal license if I could? Sure. So I have received some criticism this week on the fact that I'm representing an alleged murderer, a father and son who are accused of killing somebody after they came on, after the person came on their property with a machete, a mask on and a pit bull. And he had done it a number of times to their property and a number of other properties. And that how I, how can I do that and say that somebody's presumed innocent? And then I criticized Dick and Jim when they represented Alex, who was accused murder. It's a different story. Alex, 
his situation, I criticized Dick and Jim that they've overlooked all the financial crimes. And he certainly had a right to a very vibrant, vigilant defense on the murder charges. What I criticized Dick and Jim on was the hypocrisy on all the financial crime cases and how much they went in deep in some of the statements they said. My particular case deals with property rights and self-defense of people that have never been involved in the criminal justice system to people that have zero criminal record, high members of their community, farmers, and it's a it's a property rights case. It's 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 different. If they had the background that Alex had, if they did the things that Alex had done, I would not have gotten involved. And that's all I'm going to say about it. So there is a qualitative yeah, a difference, difference to yeah. it. And yeah, I never exactly. criticized Dick and Jim for representing Alex on the murder case. I criticized them for how they handled Paul's defense and also on the financial crimes matters. It's trickery. It's trickery that we had a problem with. Trickery. Trickery. And with that said, I'm really excited next week because I get to interview on Happy Hour my partner, Ronnie Richter, and he's going to be under oath and I'm going to get to ask him all the questions that I've always wanted to ask him, you know, boxers or briefs, you know, cereal oh, or eggs and what question. makes you tick? Why, why, why would you ever be partners with a guy like me? You know, his background, he's a third generation Navy pipe fitter. He doesn't come from privilege, even though he lives in Charleston. He's got a completely different personality than I do. He has a wonderful story. He donated his kidney to his wife who had a very significant kidney ailment and her kidneys were failing. And the idea that a husband and wife would match is like such a low 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 percentage and they ended up matching and so it's just a great story and so i'm really looking forward to that on happy hour next thursday night seven o'clock join in if you can premium members and anybody who wants to listen so that's what i had to say thanks guys for giving me that minute ronnie is a really nice guy he's also a really good writer yeah he is he's really smart i'm excited for that you're a great interviewer well guys great show great show cups down Cups down. Cups down, guys. Cup of Justice is a Luna Shark production created by me, Mandy Matney, and co-hosted by journalist Liz Farrell and attorney Eric Bland. Learn more about our mission and membership at lunasharkmedia.com. Interruptions provided by Luna and Joe Pesky. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.